Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited for church? Well, I can't believe I got to do this twice today. Just kidding, just kidding. If you're we're new to church, let me tell you, my wife and I, we started this church five years ago with a simple dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come and ex- grow in their faith, but unchurched people could come explore their faith. So if you are new, let me tell you, you are VIP at Bold. And uh, before we jump in to our collection talk, I got two announcements. Next week is a big Sunday, child dedications and growth track. Growth track is for those that have been coming for a while. Maybe today's your first day and you're like, I like this church. Next week is your opportunity to join this church. And then in two weeks, we are having a heavenly party, baptisms, come on. Before I transition, I just want to acknowledge something that's on your seat. We are super planners here. And next week, we are starting a collection of talks called Beauty and the Beast, a relationship series. And for those of you that have been coming, last, week, last year I had a mannequin called Pablo, and people loved it. His wife is coming this year, Paula. And then next year, we're going to have a, a little kid mannequin, Petey Pablo. Just kidding. Maybe. And on the back of this card, I want to encourage some of you that maybe you're exploring Christianity and you don't know, you don't want to come back next week. Come back on Mother's Day. We love to honor you. We love to give you a gift. It's going to be a party from heaven. And we are in a collection of talks titled, The Best Way to Die. And crazy, we've been talking about death for four weeks now. And today's the best death ever. Because it ended this morning. Amen. I want to go to John chapter 20. When you see it on the screen, someone shout amen. Amen. If you're new, we are a loud church. We don't, we, don't, we don't pass on passion here. So if you hear something good, help me preach today's sermon. Amen. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Someone say dark. And saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, The Lord, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the cloths lying there and the faith cloths, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded. Someone say folded. Up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. As for yet they had not understood the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Come on, the tomb is empty and there's news to tell. I lost my place. Then the disciple went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white standing where the body of Jesus had lain, 
want the head and want the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, where have you taken my Lord? And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. Someone say the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. She's savage, dude. And I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him in Aramaic, said, Rabone, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. I don't know what you came in this morning with. Some of you, your marriage is is dark. Maybe life is dark. We are in an interesting place in our culture. Christianity is being pushed out. Maybe maybe you're afraid to tell people you're even Christian. Maybe you're here exploring. Maybe you're here because your mom told you you had to be here. (laughs) But no matter why you came, I want to give you a message of hope this morning. And that sign that you saw out there was not just a sign. It's also the title of my message today. The best is yet to come. Turn to your neighbor and say the best is yet to come. Now turn to your other neighbor that you forsake on Easter. Oh my God. Even for you, partner, the best is yet to come. Let me pray real quick because I got a message. Help me preach today, church. God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. God, thank you so much that the tomb is empty and there's news to tell. That the sign out there is a prophetic declaration. That no matter what we are going through, God, the best is yet to come. God, we walked in one way, but we want to walk out another. Give us hope today, God. We want to walk more like you, talk more like you, love more like you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Bold tradition, we get loud. Somebody give God a shout. I need some audience participation. Anyone willing to raise their hand, you're afraid of the dark. Any adults afraid of the dark? Come on. Room full of liars, okay. I got two girls. They are always afraid of the dark. Every night I put them to bed, Dad, close the closet. Because all the monsters apparently come through that place. And you need to turn on the nightlight because that keeps them away. And fear is not a... I realize it's not a learned thing because my girls have never watched a horror movie and they're afraid of the dark. For me, though, when I was 9, 10 years old, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street, done. I'm 40, I'm still afraid of the dark. I remember as a little kid, I would be in my room by the light switch. My mom didn't turn it off. I would stand, breathing, because I knew once the lights go off, someone's coming out of the closet. And it's a race to bet. If I get under the covers, he can't touch me. Because the blanket is like an invisibility cloak, like Harry Potter. And then it's even worse. I can't just walk. I have to sprint and then jump because there's someone underneath the bed. So I'm nine. I'm pounding my chest, praying in tongues, and boom, gone. Trying to get to my bed as fast as I can. And in the scriptures, darkness is the absence of God because God is light. It's often a a metaphor for confusion, that you don't know where you're going. And in our culture, we even use this language, I'm in a dark place. 
Even whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're first time at church or you've been coming your whole life, because your mom came when, you were preg- when she was pregnant. Sometimes people will describe the season that they're in as dark. Maybe you're here with anxiety and it's dark. Maybe you're here with depression and it's dark. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and you're just in a dark place. No matter what season of life you're in, if you're in a dark place, I want to give you hope this morning. That the best is yet to come. There's a man named David and he's a psalmist. What's a psalmist? He's a worship leader. Before the bold worship team, there was David. I like ours better though. And I'm, I'm, I'm praising you, saying, what? What's that mean? And in Psalm chapter 30, David writes these words. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. I love my kids, but sometimes they upset me. Sometimes I want to put them up for adoption. And it's this tension that only parents feel. In one moment, I have everlasting love, but I'm angry, don't want to be near them. But my love hasn't stopped David saying that's true of God too. I can do things that may upset him, but his love never fails for me. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. David is talking from experience. He's saying, there are days I went to bed crying. There were days I did not like the life that I was living. Maybe you're here and life is not going the way you expected. David is trying to give you hope. Darkness doesn't last forever. David was running for 17 years from a madman who tried to kill him. And he's writing the story, writing the psalm from experience on the other side of darkness. He says, it's not forever. No matter how dark life is, no matter how broken your marriage is, light is coming. Joy is coming. Listen, the best is yet to come. And then he continues. As for me, I said in my prosperity. He's talking from the the, the mountaintop. He's talking from, I didn't quit. I want to encourage some people not to quit on God, not to quit on your marriage, not to quit on your faith. I know it's dark, but joy is coming. Weeping may be for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. And what I love that in our culture, there are people that are preaching this same message, but they're not even Christian. They just take the hope but they don't give you a reason why for hoping. There's a book I'm reading by a very man similar to David. David was a renaissance man. He, he wrote songs. He, he was a king. He was a great warrior. And there's a renaissance man, in my opinion, in our culture. He, he was a hip-hop artist and a TV, on TV shows for years. And now he's a movie star. It's Will Smith. And I know that he, he's, he's known for the slap heard around the world. And, but before, he, he was like the number one rock star, A-list star in Hollywood. And he wrote a book long before the slap that was a national bestseller, self-titled Will. And it documents his life. And he's a brilliant author. And the very first chapter of the book is called The Wall. As a nine-year-old, this man had a father who was kind of deranged, alcoholic, would verbally and physically abuse not only Will but his brother. And their back wall, 50 feet wide, had fallen down in the weather. And his dad said, you're going to rebuild that wall, but you're going to do it with brick. Listen, I'm f- I don't know how to lay brick. <laughs> Listen, I tell my kids to put their socks away, and they complain. Imagine how much Will Smith and his brother complained. They had to build a wall. Listen, every day for a year. And even admits in the, in the book that if they had just taken two men, two days they would have finished it. 
But because they didn't know what they were doing, it took them an entire year every day, rain or shine, school or holiday, Christmas, every day for a year they would build the wall. And there was a day that he talks about in the book that they're complaining. Why do I got to build this wall? Why do we got to, all of our friends are playing. All of our friends are going to 7 having slippers. Why do we got to do this? And the dad comes out and goes, enough. You're not building a wall. Stop looking at the, the problem. You're laying bricks. And that's exactly what David's saying. He's not saying ignore your problems, but don't judge your life by one chapter in your book. Darkness may come for a moment, but joy is coming in the morning. Can I testify to anyone this morning that God has never left you, forsaked you, he's never abandoned you? Anyone thankful for Jesus? That's what David's saying. And he's prophesying of the morning where joy was there eternally. That we don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to worry if God loves us because the morning where Jesus resurrected, joy lasted eternally. And that's what he's prophesying about the, the coming king. And John chapter 20 is about the greatest morning of all mornings. And many people don't know this, but it was the worst three days leading up to Sunday. The Christianity died when Jesus died. And what looked like a setback was actually a setup. And I'm trying to encourage some of you in this room. Some of you that are judging your entire life by the season of life that you're in. There is purpose in your pain. Never put a period where God wants to put a comma. And I wrote it like this. Maybe you'll remember this. Oftentimes, our worst seasons give birth to our best seasons. God's not done writing your story. He's not done. If you still got air in your lungs, God's got purpose for your life. And the quality of your life is not determined by the length of it, but by who's in it. And if you give your life to Jesus, he, he will write a better story. He will bring purpose out of the pain. And I got one message this morning, two goals, and three clues. I call them blues clues. <laughs> the one message is the tomb is empty and there is news to tell. My goal is twofold. There are some of you that have never met Jesus. I'm praying that you would meet him this morning. And there are others of you that you are a follower of Jesus and you are in a dark place. And you need hope. I'm praying you leave this place inspired. Got three clues. Y'all ready? Yes. Blues clues number one, the tomb. Someone shout the tomb. the tomb. Mary comes to the tomb not to celebrate the resurrection. She brought flowers because Christianity died when Jesus died. Why? Because messiahs don't die. Sons of God aren't supposed to stop breathing. The movement of Christianity today was not, they didn't have a building. They didn't, they didn't have like, 501c3s, they, all it was, they were following a teacher who was doing miracles. And when he died, the entire thing died. And let me tell you, every Christian in this moment was in a dark season. But there's a clue, though. That morning ends in the morning. That joy is coming. What's the clue? The tomb. Because when she comes to the tomb, let me tell you, Jesus did not own this tomb. The tomb was owned by a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He, he was part of the group of people that literally crucified Jesus, arrested Jesus, falsely imprisoned him, and then threw him on a cross. He was the one guy that says, we shouldn't do this. And he's so wealthy, he's so rich, he's like, I want to give Jesus my tomb. But he wasn't alone. There was another man by the name of Nicodemus. I preached a sermon called Nick at Night. Maybe some of you remember that TV show. Your laughter reveals your age. Because the rest of us are like, what are you talking about? 
Nicodemus is a religious man, and he tried to achieve salvation through good works. This man has more clout, more Instagram followers, more wealth than anyone in Jerusalem, and he is lonely as heck. What does it gain? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose your life? You can do good things and still miss Jesus. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they come and they bury Jesus. And it's hilarious that this tomb does not belong to Jesus, and it's a clue. Why is it a clue? Because foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is humble, so humble he has no material possession. He never owned a home. Listen, he didn't even own his own tomb. Let me give you a theological reason for that. Why would you buy something that you're going to Airbnb for three days? You don't need to buy something that you're just going to Airbnb. And yes, Jesus had a, a binder in the cave telling him the Wi-Fi password and how everything worked. And he was annoyed just as all of us are at Airbnb. But it's a clue. It's a clue. He's not surprised at the death that you, the way that you and I are. In Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah prophesies these words. 53 verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. 700 years before Jesus died, Jesus called his shot. Babe Ruth called his shot. We, we call him the legend. Jesus called his shot 700 years before he died. He was not surprised at his death. He wanted it. He laid his life down willingly. But it gets even better. Because when Mary comes to the tomb, at the tomb, the roll has been, the stone that's covering the tomb has been rolled away. This is the equivalent of like a, a Yukon Escalade with no wheels being moved 20 feet and being on its, on its on, upside down. How, how many men would it take to do that? Like a hundred maybe. And what the scriptures are trying to teach you is this is not an act of humanity. This is a supernatural act. And you need to see this. The tomb was not, the, roll, the, the, the stone was not rolled away so that God could get out. It's way better than that. The stone was rolled away so that you and I can get in, so that we can have a relationship with God, so that we can reach God. Because works don't do it. Good works don't do it. Me loving my neighbor doesn't do it. Me feeding the homeless doesn't do it. Nicodemus tried, and he couldn't. Only Jesus could conquer the grave. And the stone being rolled away, is this is a supernatural act that God did all of the works so you can have a relationship with him. If you're here and you're wondering, what do I got to do to know God? He did all the work you got to believe in Jesus. And this tomb being empty gives me a clue that God is not shocked by your circumstance. I know you're afraid of your bills. I know you're not expecting to lose your job. I know you're having a tough time with your, with your spouse and maybe with your kids. But you serve a God who looks his eye upon the sparrow. His eye has never left you. You may be surprised at your, your circumstance, but God is not surprised. Why? Because God prepared in advance for the circumstance. Number one is the tomb. Someone say the tomb. Number two, the folded napkin. Someone say the folded napkin. See, so I see this image. Mary comes to the tomb, sees it's empty, and runs back and tells the disciples, and then the disciples are running. And of course, they beat her. Just wanted to throw it out there. And you got to understand something about John. He, he never refers himself as the apostle John. He never talks in third person. He always uses two languages, the one whom Jesus loved. And it sounds a little pretentious, like, oh, my gosh, does he only love you? No, he's got a revelation that my identity is not in what I do and how much I earn, but the one who loves me. That's his identity. 
But then oftentimes he uses another way to refer himself, the other disciple. Someone said the other disciple. And you just see it, he's bragging, but there's a purpose to it. Watch, John 20, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw, someone say saw, the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen, but folded up. Someone say folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, this is him, this is a humble brag, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. I've read a bunch of commentaries on this, and people say, oh, John was younger, and he got to the tomb faster because Peter's old. Listen, John is 19. Peter's maybe, maybe 28. If you think 28 is old, you need to shut up, okay? That is not old. That is not old. This is not an age thing. Listen, this is a shame thing. Because Peter has lost his fervor for God. Because three days earlier, he was Jesus' number one fan. But he couldn't, he couldn't even stand up for him publicly. And he's so ashamed of his position. He is coming slower to the tomb because of his shame. I wrote it like this. When shame hits our life, we tend to walk a little slower to Jesus. And I wonder how many of you this morning, you used to come and maybe you came in a little slower today. Maybe you came late on purpose so you didn't have to talk to anyone. And God wants to meet you. In the same way he meets Peter and gives him hope, I want to give you the best is yet to come. And Peter walks into the tomb and he, he saw. Someone say he saw. He saw the linen. He, and he's trying to understand what's going on. Because Peter doesn't have a blind faith. The word saw in Greek means this. It means theorio, which literally is the oreo. But it means... Which means to observe something intently, looking for an explanation. Some of you think you got to check your brain in your car and then walk in the room and be dumb. Because that's what Christianity is all about. You don't, you don't use your brain, you just use faith. That is the opposite of faith. Faith is built on logic. Faith is built on reason. you got to bring your brain to understand. Because the world will tell you that, that, that Christianity doesn't make sense. That it's a, it, it takes just as much faith to not believe as it does to believe. And there will be times, listen, I wrote it like this, that darkness comes when challenges come, and it will be hard for your faith to stand, and you need a type of faith that's built on logic, on reason. And Peter comes in, and he sees. What does he see? He sees the linen cloth on the ground. They're like, why would they steal Jesus' body? What do you want to do with a naked body? <laughs> then they left the most important part, the spices. It's like robbing a bank but leaving the money and taking the, the notepads. <laughs> why would you do that? But then he sees the folded napkin, and immediately he believes. And John, the apostle, gets to the tomb first, but he doesn't walk in first. And when he sees Peter's reaction, he walks in, and he sees the folded napkin, and he believes. I can give you so many reasons why you should believe. I want to give you three this morning that may help some of you who are exploring Christianity why you should believe that Jesus really was God, and he really conquered the grave. Can I give you the three real quick? Yeah. Number one, Peter. If you're going to pick a spokesperson for Christianity, right? You know, what our, you know what our culture does? They go to the people who have the most Instagram followers. They go to the people with the most clout. Mr. Beast has 100 million followers on YouTube. Kylie Jenner has like 200 million followers on IG. And then you give them the product, and the whole world sees it. Why? Because they have clout. 
Peter has Peter is a coward. Why would you pick a coward to be your representative? But the best part about it is Peter started as a coward, but when he saw the empty tomb, this man became an evangelist and a preacher. So much so that he was willing to die. So he say, like, oh, Pastor Ali, everyone dies. Listen, people are willing to live for a lie. Very few people are willing to die for a lie. You know why? Because we lie to get out of trouble. We don't lie to get into trouble. There's a difference between a martyr and a hypocrite. Peter saw the empty tomb and was willing to be crucified upside down for Jesus because he saw something that didn't make sense. He used his logic to realize the tomb is empty and there's news to tell. Then the second person, second reason why I think the tomb is empty, and there's fact, why would you have a woman preach the first message of Christianity? Now, some of you struggle with a male and female pastor at this church. It's not Pastor Ali and his wife, Yasmin. It's Pastor Ali and Pastor Yasmin. We pastor this church. Do you believe in women pastors? Yes, because Jesus did too. And in that culture, listen, you would never use anyone that was below a male in the court of law. Women couldn't be educated. Woman couldn't own property. This is a woman who had seven demons. She was a prostitute, and she was the first preacher of the gospel. What a message of hope that God would pick the unlikely. God would use the lowly things to shame the highly things. That God would use the weak to show himself strong. Anybody thank you for Jesus? But as a nerd, there's a third reason why I think the tomb is empty. I read this almost a decade ago, and it rocked my world. There's a man by the name of Sir, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Sir Lionel Luckhoo. His, his outfit is as awesome as his name. <laughs> he was born in 1914. At the age of 26, he became a lawyer. And he then went on to win 245 legal cases in a row. It's the Guinness Book of World Records. He's, by many accounts, some say the greatest lawyer to ever live. This man had a bunch of Christian friends that would invite him to Easter every Sunday. He's like, stop it. Jesus did not resurrect. And they put the burden on him. They said, prove it. If you're so smart, if you're really the best lawyer ever, use your investigative skills to prove the resurrection didn't happen. So this man spent not just a few days, not a few months, a few years investigating the claims, using this brilliant mind to investigate the claims of Christianity. This is the greatest lawyer who ever lived, and this is what he wrote. I say unequivocally that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. For those of you that went to public school and don't know what he's saying, the tomb is empty, and there's news to tell. Listen, if Jesus didn't resurrect, I love your pastel colors. I hope you get a good picture and some ice cream. But this is a waste of time. But if he really did resurrect, this is the most important thing we can be doing. And that's not even the best part. Because none of those evidences point to why the disciples, why they believed Jesus resurrected. See, Jesus, Peter walks in. And he sees this linen napkin. And because it's folded, it convinces him. You need to understand, in Jewish culture, when a man was eating, 
and he was done with his tacos. He would take his napkins and he'd throw it. And if it was crumpled, that means he was done. Clean up the mess. But if he wanted to eat more, it was Taco Tuesdays. He, he wanted to take a breather because he wanted to fill his stomach more. He would fold his napkin. That was his say, way of saying, I'm coming back. See, some of you are in a dark place and you think God has abandoned you. And he, his name is Emmanuel. His name is God with us. He has never left you. He will never forsake you. And the napkin that's folded communicates to you in your marriage and to your dark season. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So it's the tomb. Someone shot the tomb. It's the folded napkin. Someone say the napkin. Number three, it's the gardener. Someone shout the gardener. For my Spanish-speaking people, it's El Jardino Nero. Trying to learn Spanish. You got to see this picture. Mary comes to the tomb, sees the rock turned away. It's the first clue that it's empty because Jesus didn't buy a tomb. He Airbnb'd it. She runs and tells Peter and John. Then they beat her to the tomb. She comes back. They see the folded napkin and they run away. They're terrified. But she stays. Shout out to all the wives who stay when it gets hard. Who forgive when it gets hard. Who don't quit on a marriage that gets hard. Mary stays, and she's crying her eyes out. This is mourning for her. She does not see what the disciples see. And then she walks in the tomb, wondering what they saw that would cause them to run. And when she walks into the tomb, she sees two angels, one at the feet and one at the head. That's the question. Anyone here watch the movie Tom Cruise or Top Gun Maverick? Anyone watch it? Okay, keep your hand up, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. Anyone crazy enough not to watch the first one first? Oh, wow. These are the most stubborn people in America. <laughs> they probably have an Android. We'll pray for them. <laughs> See, Top Gun Maverick is an amazing movie all by itself. You can watch it and never watch the first one. But it's even better. It makes a lot more sense when you watch the first one. Listen, the New Testament is awesome all by itself. But when you read the Old Testament, the New Testament makes a lot more sense. This is a picture of what happened in Exodus. There's this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. If you ever watch Indiana Jones, your new church, that's that box that he's looking for. This golden box. And on this box, there are two cherubim, fancy word for angels. And they're facing each other. The same way that the angels are in the tomb of Jesus. But on the ark, there's this thing called the mercy seat. And it's literally where it housed the presence of God. And wherever this box went, the presence of God went. But what's so different this time than last time is this time the angels are here, but there's no mercy seat. Because God's saying, my spirit, my presence is no longer relegated to a location. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And now Mary's, she's ugly crying. You ever cry so loud and so hard you think it'd be asthma? <gasps> you convince yourself you're about to die. You need an inhaler. You've never had an inhaler in your life. But then there are times where we'll, sometimes we'll cry and we can't even see straight. Mary sees these angels but doesn't get it. 
All she sees is her pain. All she sees is her sorrow. All she sees is her circumstances. Some of you, that's where you're at. You're not like Nicodemus coming with your religiousness. You're not like Peter coming with your shame. You're coming to church and all you see are your problems. And you don't see the, the hope of an empty tomb. She goes to these angels and she says, what'd you do with Jesus? And they're like, why are you crying? I love that Mary. She is thugged out. She doesn't answer the question, where'd you put him? Tell me or I will cut you. She's gangster, dude. And then she hears another voice, the voice of Jesus. And she thinks it's the gardener. Someone say the gardener. She doesn't realize she's talking to Jesus about Jesus and says, where'd you put him? What a prophetic picture of our prayer life sometimes. That you're talking to God and you're like, where are you? Do you even hear me, God? And he's like, I'm right here. But this is a scene that doesn't make sense. In, in Top Gun Maverick, there's this scene where Tom Cruise is, is in a bar. And he sees Goose's son. If you don't watch the movie, I'm sorry, you're not going to get this. We hope you find salvation. But he sees this man playing the piano surrounded by the other Top Gun pilots. And they're singing this song. Hit it. You shake my nerves and you rattle my bone. Too much something drives a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. That's not the first time that song has been sung. Because 30 years prior, Tom Cruise, when he drank the blood of a unicorn and doesn't age, he sang that song. This is not the first time we see the gardener. The gardener came in the very first book of the Bible. It was the gardener who made the heavens and the earth. It was the gardener who made the Garden of Eden. It was the gardener who placed Adam and Eve there. And the Bible says that he would walk in the cool of the garden with his kids. And he talked to them. And he did life with them. And the gardener, Mary thinks it's the gardener. I'm telling you, it is the gardener. Some of you are in a dark season. You're wondering, how is the gardener helping me? Because the gardener's telling the story. He's been telling a story since the very beginning of the Bible. The moment that relationship with us and God was broken because we sinned. Sin is the breaking of God's law. The serpent said, if you eat from this tree, you'll be like God. Do it your way. Burger King. And Adam and Eve, they sinned and relationship was broken. And from that moment, the gardener has been working to bring his lost kids home. And the message of Christianity is that our good works could never bridge the gap. No matter how good Nicodemus was, he could never be good enough. And God knowing as a father that his children could never bridge the gap, he became the bridge. God became a man 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. He was the God-man, fully God, fully man. Lived a sinless and perfect life. And he came not to give us a book or a religion, but he came to die for our sin. That's the good news of Christianity. But the reason why it's a clue is because the storyteller's telling a story. I got good news and bad news. The story's about him. It's not about you. 
You know when life becomes painful? You're always going to be disappointed. You're always going to be disillusioned when you think you're the main character. It's his story. He's the main character. Mary, she's like, where did you put him? And she says, Mary. And in one moment, darkness becomes light. Mourning becomes joy. She hugs him and clings to him. And I love what Jesus says next. He says, go and tell the others. Go. Your story doesn't end at the empty tomb. It begins there. I love that. Mary, the most unqualified person, becomes the first preacher of the gospel. She never went to growth track. She never served at a church. She never even went to seminary. But she preached the first sermon, I have seen the Lord. And sometimes we think we're so unqualified to be used by God. But he uses those that all we see is our pain. And then he uses Peter, the one full of shame, to preach the second message of hope. That the tomb is empty and there's news to tell and 3,000 people get saved. I wonder if life is dark because you think it's all about your 401k and the equity that you're trying to build. Life is not about accumulating things, but walking with the gardener. And the gardener came back. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you in the garden. And he did all the work so that you can come home, so that we can be invited into his story. Because we all, everyone in this room, if you believe in Jesus, we all have the same story. And it's this. Once I was lost, come on, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was once deaf, but now I can hear. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Once I was in mourning, but now there is joy. Anybody thankful for Jesus? Come on. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray real quick. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on Sunday morning. You overcame death, sin, and hell for us. You are the great gardener who left heaven to bring your lost kids back home. And God, no matter how dark our season is, no matter how dark life is, God, the story is still being told. You are not done. There is still things that you can do. You're the only one, Jesus, that can turn pain into purpose, death into life, lost into found. God, we are so thankful, God, for what only you can do, Jesus. I just believe, God, that there are people in here that are suffering, that are hurting, that need you to rewrite their story. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus and you need some hope, would you just raise your hand and say, I need that prayer, Pastor. Love to pray for you. Got to pray for every hand that goes up. I echo the words of David, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy, someone shout joy. Joy comes in the morning. God, I pray for every person that hears the sound of my voice that you would give them hope that surpasses all understanding. That you would give them hope not to quit, hope to go another day, hope to lay another brick and not quit. But God, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that some of them are going to meet their gardener with every eye closed and every head bowed. There are some of you in this room that Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day you feel God tugging on your heart. Maybe he's real. Maybe the tomb is empty. 
Maybe what God did through Peter and Mary and that lawyer really are true. Maybe the tomb really is empty. If that's you this morning and you want to start by faith, a relationship with the living God, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to pray a prayer. And I want you to shoot your hand up if that was you. I want everyone to pray this prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me, for dying for me, living a sinless life for me. You lived the life I didn't live. And then you died the death I should have died. Thank you. I receive your salvation. I repent. I turn from my sin. And I turn towards you. I receive you as the author of life. My gardener. I want to walk with you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.